Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Fresh off of our big episode about one of the huge climaxes of Rhythm of War. We are here with another huge section of Rhythm of War, The Deal. You all know the deal we're talking about. If you don't know the deal, you're going to be confused a lot. And you probably need to go back and reread. <laughs> yeah, if you're skipping around on the podcast and you haven't read all the Cosmere books yet and you don't know what we're talking about, definitely turn this episode off. All spoilers all the time here. You guys know this. You can tell us about how we are spoiling the Cosmere for you on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, <laughs> YouTube, Patreon, anywhere. Just complain at us. That would be great. I think that... We have hit on several of the huge aspects of Rhythm of War, but as you said, the deal really is the unifying Cosmere event that... It's a big one. ...may end up being and feeling like the prequel to the collision of the greater Cosmere. Like, this is clearly from Odium with Dalinar setting up what he calls, you know, the true war or the war of the gods. Yeah, I do wonder, again, fresh off of our last episode about Teravodium, how much of what we're going to talk about today is still relevant with the change in ownership of the Odium Shard. Yes, we did <laughs> mention this a little bit in our Teravodium episode According to the little bit we know, the single line from Rhythm of War, Teravodium is still bound by the deal made by Raysa Odium. But he has some ideas for how to sort of shift things within the existing deal. So I got to the end of these uh, like six pages of notes that we took for this episode. And then I was like, wait, does any of this even matter anymore? And I think it does <laughs> because it is... The same type of limitation, and then we're going to play around in it. So really, like, the deal as we understood it yeah. is the set, and then Teravodium gets to play around within those limitations. Yeah, I do think it's important to still understand what exactly the deal is. And I know for me, I personally found that part really difficult to follow because it's a big negotiation where they're going back and forth a bunch of times offering different versions. And so this was really helpful for me. Hopefully it's helpful for some of our listeners as well to kind of remember what exactly we settled on in that deal. And then along with the deal, we're going to be talking a little bit about bondsmith powers in general, which we get a lot of insight into in Rhythm of War, and a little bit of Ishar. Yeah, we have the creation of a new bondsmith in Navani, who we've clearly talked a bunch about previously, but her role as bondsmith has not really developed. Yeah. And where we see so much of this new information is coming from Dalinar and his Smaller role in Rhythm of War is basically all about Bondsmith and yeah. bondsmith, 
possibilities, his potential, new, and powers. Like mission in life is to develop and understand his bondsmith powers better. That's basically his whole character arc in Rhythm of War. So that's what we're diving into. Let's begin with some of the quotes that we get from Rhythm of War and kind of the new understanding or better understanding we have of the Bondsmith powers and how Dalinar is a little bit of a weirdo. There are, there's a lot of information here. Some of it, like you said, sort of speaking to Bondsmith powers generally, and then some of it really pointing towards the fact that Dalinar is a new kind of Bondsmith. So sort of At the baseline, we hear that Bondsmith powers are, quote, related to the composition of Stormlight, the three realms, and ultimately, the very nature of deity, end quote. Right there. Big stuff. Yeah, exactly. The nature (laughs) of deity. The composition of Stormlight. Which we also spent a lot of time figuring out the composition of Warlight and those kind of applications can be made to breaking it down even further yeah and i feel like the phrase the nature of deity could be better stated as the nature of shards investiture i know i mean i I think it's specific to these because a deity is a god that's general definition of it i think that it's talking about these shards and how the bondsmith powers if we see that as like fundamental surge binding or fundamental power use across the cosmere then maybe the original og yolan people were exploring basically the powers of bondsmiths but they didn't use that terminology mm, yeah, and that is kind thought. of what ripped apart ad nauseum mm-hmm. and now they are like these deities that exist that were created from this same source. I would like to propose just a tiny little devil's advocate of are the shards really gods? They're lowercase but, gods. Yeah. Lowercase g gods. But I, I got you. I got you. Because we also hear this, quote, your abilities are what made the original Oath Pact, she said, and they existed and were named long before the Knights Radiant were founded. A bondsmith connected the heralds to Braes, made them immortal, and locked our enemies away. A bondsmith bound other surges and brought humans to Rashar, fleeing their dying world. A bondsmith created, or at least discovered, the Nahel Bond, the ability of Spren and humans to join together into something better. You connect things, Dalinar, realms, ideas, people, end quote. And that's coming directly from our ever-growing in intelligence, Sophrena. She's saying that the powers of the Bondsmith existed long before the Knight's Radiant, mm-hmm. and that his main thing that he does as a Bondsmith, and so we would assume Navani does as a Bondsmith as well, mm-hmm. is connect things, realms, ideas, and people. But what I find most intriguing is this bondsmith creation of the Oath Pact because I thought that was Honor. Like, not a bondsmith, but a thing that Honor was doing in the Mm -hmm. world. And now it seems like something was using the power of Honor or the power of Investiture as a bondsmith. And they made the Oath Pact, which to me is like a revelation. 
Yeah, I think that that's right. I think we get other quotes about um, Ishar being the creator of Mm -hmm. the Oath Pact. And Dalinar is like so preoccupied in this book with reforging the Oath Pact. And every time he says it, I'm just like, do we really think that that's the answer? Yeah, like why it are we going like back to that? It seems like a bad thing to do again. Like, have you seen the heralds? It's like why double down on the thing that ain't great? Yeah, obviously it didn't work out for past humans. Why it literally would we fail? Like, I know that every the... single time right. that there was a desolation, <laughs> there kept being desolations. <laughs> like it never worked until we decided to torture one herald for four thousand years or whatever the time difference is. Yeah, and it's just like bad idea. Think of something new. Ooh, maybe. Okay, we're going to get into more speculation later. But as a bit of early speculation, maybe Dalinar will reforge the Oath Pact, but he will essentially be Talm and Mm. he'll just forget about the other nine heralds and just be like, it will be me. I will take this burden. I could see that. Be the new Talm. Yeah. Throwing it all on his shoulders and just like. As Dalinar does. Just like no one can do this except for me. This concept of the big connector, I think, is also important when we put in perspective a word of Brandon from November of 2020, where Ryan asked, quote, like how bondsmiths have stronger versions of their surges, is it possible to have a stronger version of the other surges as well? End quote. Brandon answers, yes, this is what happened to Ashen you can have some very dangerous manipulation of the surges. Is that just speaking to like surges on Ashen or this concept of like unbound? The unbound nature. Because it seems like, I mean, I don't necessarily see that bondsmiths have stronger versions of their surges. It seems like Dalinar just has his surges. But Dalinar is doing something unique. That's what Ryan is specifically asking about. The uniqueness of Dalinar's surges, Mm. the, you know, souped Mm -hmm. up or he's using the phrase stronger version. But really, it's just like the souped up or weird nature of Dalinar's use of Bondsmith powers. Can that exist with other surges as well? Other Mm. radiant classes as well? And Brandon is answering, yes, this is what happened to Ashen. Unbound surges can be very destructive. We don't know exactly what the combination of things is. Yeah, I think we know that, that the previous humans on Ashen had different constraints, Mm -hmm. if any at all, on their surges. The Bondsmiths are just the most dangerous because, again, of the nature of their powers as the power of God. And the fact that Dalinar is now an example of an unbound radiant. He is, and maybe all of them are, but Dalinar is clearly unbound in the way yeah, I that think previous bondsmen were. Good question. I, I would guess that there would be some difference between normal radiant being bound to a regular spren and then Dalinar being bound to a god spren. Yeah, with the power of honor. As right. the in, in the Stormfather in yeah. this cognitive shadow yeah. version. So like I think that this introduction of the ideas of like the Bondsmiths did exist long before. Something happened on Ashen with unbound radiance and maybe unbound bondsmith. And then a bondsmith on Rashar brought the humans over. 
Well, no, I think Ashar was still on Ashen. He just figured out how to transport them off of Ashen. Excuse me. I didn't mean that not a bondsmith on Ashar. A bondsmith figured out the way yes. to bring the humans over from Ashen. So you have the destruction of worlds, the linking of worlds, all wrapped up in these concepts of unbound an unchained surge binding, and now Dalinar is an example of that. Yeah, and I think we don't know exactly what that means. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we get a lot more information about it in Rhythm of War, a lot of clues and quotes pointing towards this fact that Dalinar and maybe all of the current Bondsmiths or maybe all of the surge binders are different from the ones that came before yeah, I think maybe even something like Adolin, you know, uh, his relationship with Maya mm -hmm. being another example of like things are different than the way they were before. And the concept that, you know, we hear a lot in Rhythm of War is Spren can't change. Spren are ever yeah. the same. But then at the same time, clearly Spren are able to change and are able to have autonomy or individuality among the different Spren classes. Like that is very clearly said many times spren yes, can never a, change yeah that's a big theme yeah but they are, are all examples of ever-changing spren and i think that when we look at the specific quotes about dalinar and the differences in how the powers are manifesting this time it's just all pushing us towards this concept of like maybe they're all unbound do you want to hit us with some quotes yeah quote you wield the power of gods, Dalinar, the Stormfather said. I once thought I knew the extent of your abilities. I have abandoned that ignorant supposition, end quote. So this, I think, is interesting because this is pointing towards Dalinar being different than Bondsmiths, even on Rishar. Yeah, like not even 100%. all the way back to Ashen, just but the, just the before last Dalinar. Yeah. Yeah. And the basic... Which I think does have to do with honor being gone. There was some constraint that honor specifically put on the surge binders previously that stopped existing when honor died. Mm -hmm. And I think that is combined with some of the information we get from Word of Brandon's and the end of... Rhythm of War with Ashar, which we'll talk about in more detail in a moment, but this concept of a a more threatening version of the Radiance when they're unbound. Without honor, they're more dangerous. So the next quote from the Stormfather is this, quote, you are something different from them, the Stormfather replied, something greater, more dangerous, but also more complicated. There has never been another like you, end quote, clearly pushing us to the idea that this is a unique set of circumstances that has happened. And Bondsmith in general, like the, the straight up definition, if you go see the Order of the Knights Radiant quiz and read the description mm -hmm. of each of the Radiant classes, Bondsmiths by definition never manifest in the same way. Yeah. They're the most fluid based on the powers, based on the oaths that are sworn, based on the time. Like, and the individual person yes. specifically. And so like all of the concepts of like rigidity among mm -hmm. the radiant classes do not exist for the bondsmiths mm -hmm. already. And yeah. then on top of that, Dalinar is uniquely connected to honor and honor's power. Yeah. 
I think what will help us put this in perspective is the next book when we see how Navani's bondsmith powers uh, manifest and show yeah. and demonstrate themselves and be like, well, is she also going to be unbound in a certain way? Is she going to be limited while Dalinar is like clearly more powerful right. because of this honor connection? Yeah, like what are the differences between them yeah. going to be? But right now we really only have the what we see from Dalinar as a bondsmith, Navani's powers coming at the end, we basically didn't see very much except for the creation of light. Yeah. I want to go next to a quote directly from one of the original heralds and ashen native, uh, Shalash, who says, quote, it doesn't work the same for you all as it did for us when we had our swords. You're limited, but sometimes you do things we couldn't. At any rate, I never knew much about it. But there are some who know, aren't there? Yasna said. A group of people who have practiced with surge binding, who experimented with it, who know about Dalinar's powers. Yeah, Ash said, end quote. So proof, again, from like one of the OGs that there is something about these new radiants that is different from before. And then also, I think an important reminder that we currently have at least three different uh, sort of manifestations or examples of Dalinar's bondsmith powers, one being Dalinar, two being Ashar, who is wielding the bondsmith shard, uh, honor, blade. honor blade, and then three being whoever is in Shinovar, who has been practicing with that blade and knows bondsmith powers. And is, isn't it maybe hinted that that's Zeth's father because he freaks out when he finds out that the blade is yes. missing? Yes, but I would assume that there are also other people in Shinovar who have used that blade, even if Zeth's father was the like primary wielder. Because mm -hmm. Zeth says that he and presumably all other Shin people practiced with, with all, all the different the blades, swords. Yeah. yeah. So, so I just think that that's important to keep in mind that it's not just Dalinar, it's not just Dalinar and Ashar, but that there's this whole other group of people that have knowledge and insights about these things. We definitely need to get more of the Shin into this global <gasps> and war. And it sounds like we're going to in the next book. Yeah, because is that supposed to be a Zeth or Skybreaker focused book? The number five? Yes, I believe so. And that's like where we leave Dalinar, basically. He tells both Zeth and Kaladin, hey, I'm going to Shinovar to learn Bondsmith stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, I assume that's where we're going to pick up with him. We're finally going to Shinovar. Yes. It does mean sadness because Dalinar and Navani won't be together. And I yeah. want them together all True the time. True story. But Big sad. She's definitely going to be holding down the fort at Erethiru. I can't imagine her leaving now that her I mean, spren is she's literally, literally bonded yeah. to the tower. <laughs> so I don't imagine she's going to be up for the <laughs> flying around. I mean, she can. I just like Dalinar doesn't need to always be next to the Stormfather. But well, the Stormfather is like the sky. So <laughs> wherever Dalinar goes, he's near the Stormfather. I, I don't think Navani is literally trapped in the tower, is all I'm saying. I think she could travel. I just don't imagine she That's will be. That's a good be. question, actually. I can't imagine she's going to go far, though. That would be weird. Yeah, it would be weird. You would think that, like, 
Kaladin and Syl's relationship, distance does have an impact yeah. on the bond itself. Obviously, we don't know. This is speculation. We'll see in the next book how that goes. Another herald weighs in in regards to Dalinar's bondsmith powers. Would you like to read this quote from our friendly neighborhood nail? <laughs> our friendly neighborhood nail. Not so friendly. Not really in the neighborhood, but nail. Uh, he'll come to your neighborhood. <laughs> kill your shoemaker. Sadness. For, uh, chimes a for you. A moment yen. of silence yeah, exactly. for <laughs> We have to, we're a podcast, so we have to go the opposite direction. All silence is cut out. It's just a moment of sound effect for Yim. Rest in peace as you become part of the one. Nail directly challenges Dalinar and his position. And once again, Dalinar's weirdness is remarked upon. He says, quote, How are you a bondsmith? Nail asked Dalinar. You should not exist, Blackthorn. Your cause is not righteous. You should be denied the true surges of honor. Perhaps it is a sign that you are wrong, Nilan, Dalinar said. Perhaps our cause is righteous. No, Nail said. Other radiants can lie to themselves and their spren. So-called honor spren prove that morality is shaped by their perceptions. You should be different. Honor should not allow this bonding. Honor is dead, Dalinar said. And yet, Nail said, honor should still prevent this prevent you end quote whole bunch wrapped up in that mm -hmm. information dump from nail going in reverse order dalinar makes the correct statement honor is dead and then nail says and yet it doesn't matter and yet honor mm -hmm. should still prevent this yeah like there's some like... aspect of the universe that is regardless of the vessel tanavast regardless of the shard being in its path he's like Honor shouldn't allow this even if honor is dead. Yeah, it makes me think that there is some kind of pact, oath pact, bond, agreement in some way that would persist. And maybe it is related to the limitations on the shard that we hear expressed mm -hmm. by Odium and other yeah. characters as well. But perhaps there is a... Because the thing that Nail calls out is this lie that other radiance can lie to themselves and their spren but you shouldn't be able to you should be different Dalinar. Mm -hmm. and so that to me is related to what odium says and we'll get to this during the deal but the concept of if i lie if i break my vows then it opens up a weakness in me so large that other shards can kill me that basically yeah. dalinar shouldn't be allowed to do this because it's clearly a lie it's clearly not an honorable situation from Nail's perspective. Well, yeah. And then this like is connecting up to this idea that there are these big like cosmic contracts mm -hmm. or cosmic agreements, like I said, that, that are persisting, yeah. that exist sort of in the ether Wait, in do you some think way. Do you think that they are cosmere limitations or shard limitations both so you think they're cosmere wide i yeah i think that they exist exist cosmere wide like you said we're going to talk about this in relationship to odium and odium specific limitations in uh certain contracts and agreements that were made between the shards it seems 
But so that like huge blanket contract obviously is covering the entire Cosmere. Yeah, I guess it's a difference. I'm trying to distinguish between the shards acting and whatever deals they made between themselves. Yes, they are basically the entire Cosmere, but they're not like there is still the bigger thing around them that they exist in. And so they are still, I guess, one level down from but the I overall think, Cosmere. And like, I, I think these things become like cosmic law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they are wielding the power of yeah, the Cosmere. creation. Exactly. Yeah. Totally understand. I just wanted to. And then I think like individual shards can create contracts like that that are more localized and that is what Nail is kind of talking about. Like, Honor created this law on Rashar that should constrain or define bondsmiths in a particular way. Even Odium remarks upon Dalinar's unique binding of the realms, the mm-hmm. creation of the perpendicularity. He says, quote, now I see how you resisted me. You've been working with Ashar all along, haven't you? Is that how you learned to bind the realms? End quote. So Odium directly, you know, realizing that Ashar is doing this weird stuff, and then Dalinar has this weird ability that maybe only Ashar previously had. Right, because Ashar is from Ashen, where again, they had different surges and different stuff going on. And were probably unbound. Right. And then after Ishar, there were other bondsmiths. One that we hear about specifically is named Malishi. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like bondsmiths like Malishi did not have these same powers. And then Dalinar, you know, sort of on the other end of the spectrum from Ishar in terms of timeline, yes, has is now manifesting similar powers. I wonder if the specific key to the recreants is often believed to be the lack of a bondsmith at that time. The idea that in the world to have the radiance existing at like their full ability and to also not have huge weaknesses, you need a bondsmith. And so I wonder like there's basically a a range of powers that exists for the bondsmith that go maybe even beyond what we've seen from Ishar and Dalinar, but they clearly have like those similarities. And I don't know if it's for the same reasons. Yeah. And then in that conversation, Dalinar goes on to say, quote, a bondsmith unchained is capable of incredible feats. He looked at the ancient being. You are a god. You hold vast powers, yet they bind you as much as they free you. Tell me, what do you think of a human bearing the weight of a god's powers, but without that god's restrictions? End quote. So that's super interesting, because Dalinar is basically saying that he is a shard, but without any of the restrictions that a shard has, which we talked a lot about in our last episode in relationship with Teravodium, and we're going to talk about more here. And I think that is fascinating. Yeah, it's also similar to what we mentioned with Teravodium and how the power or all investiture is infinite 
and the limitation comes in the nozzles that are used to direct the flow, Dalinar seems to be saying that like he is a nozzle for the power of the spiritual realm, and he is not weighted down by actually being a shard. Like yeah. he can direct the power in a unique way. I really think this is like the key thing that should be taken out of Dalinar's story in Rhythm of War or like what's going on in the greater Cosmere. Like this is the answer. The shards are limited and humans bearing the power of shards are not. Right, which is not the same thing as being a shard vessel. Exactly. (laughs) Because Dalinar has this weird relationship with the pieces of a shard. I am sort of extrapolating from this that if a shard is shattered and therefore there are pieces, but it's not full, then somehow that shard is like exempted from these cosmic contracts that we've been talking about. So if a human can somehow forge a connection to the pieces of a shard without actually ascending, it's kind of a hack. And we know how much Brandon likes hacks on systems. It may, just from the description that you laid out, actually be the exact same thing that happened to adenalsium. You can't attack directly adenalsium, but if you take a piece of adenalsium and break that into a shard, then you can wield one-sixteenth of it. You know, mm. you couldn't ever defeat adenalsium. You have to break it into a more manageable piece. Mm-hmm. For adenalsium, it seemed like the manageable pieces had to be one-sixteenth of its overall <laughs> size. But what Dalinar is doing in binding one of those shards is kind of the same thing. It's broken into a smaller, more manageable piece so that Dalinar, a human, can pick it up without being a shard vessel and without... And, yeah, it's also being kind of funneled through the Stormfather, who is a separate thing. Yes, and that's always very confusing because the Stormfather, obviously, we want to think is like one entity, but he's actually at least... He's two. The I think cognitive, he's but he, three. Exactly. I think wow. that he, very. We're recording this on Easter, and there are some real good Trinity uh, vibes happening. But he is kind of, you know, following that line of logic. Just the concept of splitting the the Trinity into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. And so the Father, in Honor. this case, I would say that. It would be the father is honor, the son is Tanavast, and then the spirit is the Stormfather, Spren. Yes. Okay. So, like, the Stormfather Spren was something before all of this. Yeah, it was the... Spren of the Storms, the writer of the Storms. Yeah, the people or the Parshendi, however you want to interpret people, the people's concept imagination thinking about the high storms yes that's how that spren came to be then it gets imbued with some of honor's power honor's splinters then it also gets tanavast's cognitive shadow at the death the vessel and the shard are like embedded into 
what once was a spren, which is now both a sliver and a splinter. Yes. Okay. So, and that's the confusing thing. It's a sliver <laughs> it's a lot. and a splinter. Yeah. But it is basically existing as those three things. And I believe that that's a huge aspect of why Dalinar has these unique abilities yeah. is because he is kind of permanently now linked to all three realms and in yeah. a very like specific way. Exactly. He has like a very strange ascension that has happened. And that makes me think that was Ishar able to figure out something or Ash and Bondsmith able to figure out something similar to that of like, mm, if you exist in all three realms mm -hmm. very strongly with lots of investiture, does that give you a unique property? Hmm. Good question. All of our other questions can be answered by this, quote, honor is dead. He was the only one who knew what you could do in full, end quote. That's from the Stormfather. So he's basically like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> Mysteries. Yeah. No one knows. I do wonder if other shards cultivation, obviously, being the one that makes the most sense, would know what is possible. I feel like nobody knows what is possible. And the Stormfather doesn't know. He's just another dude with a bunch of power who's like limited in very clear ways and flawed yeah. in very clear ways. So I feel like nobody would know what's going on. And exactly. that is very much like how all of us are operating. We're just all <laughs> flying by the seat of our pants. I think uh, another question I have here, just sort of a side question about the Stormfather is that the Stormfather refuses to appear as a shard blade and Nalan even comments on it in in that like rant that he goes on about Dalinar being a bondsmith. He's like, well, at least you don't have a shard blade, so that's good. And so I was kind of wondering, does the Stormfather never appear as a shard blade or has he in the past? And like, why is he refusing to do so now? Would he, Does he think that like Dalinar would be too powerful? And he has before, or at least has appeared enough to activate an oath gate. Yeah. And Dalinar can clearly make him if he wants, uh, but it's unpleasant. And yeah. The Stormfather, the Stormfather was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is one of those big questions that is going to appear obvious in the eventuality of all of these things being done. Of course. It's going to just be like, oh, obviously he can't appear as a sword because of XYZ. Because XYZ. But we don't know what XYZ <laughs> is. We're only on like F and G right now. <laughs> to go sort of deeper maybe into this religious iconography are we going to go to h and i for a char <laughs> yeah maybe i do want to read this one quote that i thought was super interesting it comes from godeki who is uh or used to be an ardent is now a radiant uh traveling with adolin in the cognitive realm he says quote your father is not simply a man adolin he your father is a holy man end quote no pressure. Yeah, I th just thought that that was very interesting. Maybe he's just talking about the fact that, you know, Dalinar's a bondsmith now. But I also was just kind of like, hmm, is this some kind of foreshadowing of Dalinar's, like, real ascension? Or I don't know. I well, just... I mean, Dalinar as Jesus is not a bad motif, like, <laughs> theme to go along with. And, like, that is what we just laid out with the whole trinity if Godeki is 
noticing that or because of what he has seen and what he believes and some of the other ardents as well are just like this is our guy like this is the thing we have been waiting for it's like if jesus showed up and christians were like yep that's the one we Ah, we yes he's here Let's talk about the OG Bondsmith, or what we think of as one of the yeah. OG Bondsmiths, Ashar, Herald of the Bondsmiths, mildly crazy, very hellbent on power. Mildly? Well, it's a book full of crazy people. Extra so crazy. I like, was trying Nalan to give- is really crazy, and Ashar is batshit crazy. I wonder if, because one of the things that is remarked upon uh, is that Ashar is like a middling member of the heralds in terms of fighting prowess. Ooh, yes. Like he's not even the best among them and he can wreck everyone. <laughs> yeah. He is like slaying, going to town, and the Stormfather is like, yeah, he's average. So real scared if uh, Telenalot ever turns oh on God. his abilities. Right. <laughs> I think that staying focused, staying focused on Ashar, we get a couple of bits of information that are new to us in Rhythm of War about Ashar. Mm-hmm. Let's hit those real quick. We've kind of alluded to them, but here they are, quotes from the book. Quote, he was the man who had discovered how to travel between worlds, leading humans to Ashar in the first place. One word that Shalash had never used was crafty. Ashar was a bold thinker, a man who pulled others after him on seemingly crazed ideas that worked but he was not a subtle man, end quote. Giving us a little bit of background about him. Yeah, I like getting a little bit more insight into like his personality, who exactly he is, and who he was before he went actually crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's a quote from the Stormfather that is speaking to uh, what I was saying earlier about Ashar and Dalinar being similar. Quote, he has recovered his honor blade. He is a bondsmith unchained end quote so in this way ashar and dalinar are both unchained bondsmiths they're both unchained but in different ways yes dalinar is unchained even though he's bonded the storm father right and ashar is unchained because, because he, he has, has the no honor bond blade. Yeah, yeah exactly he just is using the honor blade and there are clear limitations with the honor blades the most obvious being that it takes a lot more stormlight to do anything with the honor blades than if you have a spren bond, especially a higher ideal spren bond. Let's get a little bit more of the background information about Ishar. Quote, Ishar was ambitious even before madness took him. He cannot bear sole blame for the destruction of Ashen, humankind's first home, but he was the one that Odium first tricked into experimenting with the surges. End quote. So that's big. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. He is the one that is able to be tricked or was tricked before. And because he's also in a state of madness, I don't imagine it would be difficult to trick him again. These are like two back-to-back quotes of like, Ishar was a good dude, but also not a great thinker. Is the Risharan Eve who is tricked and then gets them thrown out of their homeland. We're going heavy with the Christian Really hard, yeah, on the biblical references. Happy Easter, everyone. I will just present the Gnostic (laughs) Christian side plot, which is that Eve didn't do anything wrong. Eve was making the correct decision (laughs) because stasis 
is boring and lame, and you have to accept the risk to also be able to grow and develop over time. I guess we'll find out which version Ishara is at some point. Let's move on to the main course, the deal. The deal or no deal. It's going to be, it's just a deal. That's all. I mean, there are some times where there might not be a deal, but then there is a deal. There's always a deal. There's multiple deals on top of deals. Oh my God, there's so many deals. How many times can we say deal? Now the deal is clearly done between Dalinar and Odium, but it has a big helping hand from our boy Hoyd. Yes, Hoyd plays a big role in getting this deal done. One interesting quote from Hoyd in regards to this is, quote, Odium is a punchline, Dalinar, but not to any joke you've been told, end quote. I don't know what that means, but I find it fascinating. It's also kind of interesting because we know that Odium... Reza Odium was clearly weakening over Rhythm of War. Really, he's always been weakening, but like he was falling apart. Yeah, by I think the time. it's important to note that we see two instances where humans come to Odium at a clear disadvantage. Teravangian obviously is like, uh, of course, I can't deal with Odium on a day that I'm smart. And mm-hmm. Odium's like, yeah, duh. And then also when Dalinar gets pulled into this vision, he's like completely exhausted, both physically and emotionally. And is like, ah, man, I really do not want to deal with you right now. But again, Odium's like, yeah, I'm going to pick you when you're at your worst. But But it don't matter. Odium is also kind of at his worst. So I feel like the playing field is evened out a little bit. I don't think it's even, but it is more even than it should be. Because each time Odium gets bested. So, like, clearly he's not actually as advantageous as it seems. And like you said, every time we see him, he's falling apart a little bit more. And Dalinar remarks on this, quote, Only now his skin was glowing in places, as if it had grown thin and a light inside was seeking to escape. The god's eyes had gone completely golden, as if they were chunks of metal set into a statue's face. When Odium spoke, there was a harsh edge to his tone. His words clipped barely holding in his anger, end quote. Now, as we talked about with Teravodium last week, that is not his anger that he is holding back. That is the untamed fury that yeah. makes up the shard the of shard power that yes. is just like about to rip away. Yeah, literally wearing him thin. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what exactly is in this contract and these parameters that have been set up by our forces of good and then counter proposed by the forces of evil and what we get to as an end result because it really is it's like the most boring back and forth contract negotiation ever but yeah it's very uh negotiation-y. That's why you have us people we get to speed right through all the negotiations and just tell you the facts So the original contract as written by Hoyd, the presented contract, if you will, is that there will be a clash of champions, a battle of champions. If Odium's champion wins, Rashar is Odium's completely and utterly. If Dalinar wins, Odium withdraws for a millennia. Then 
Dalinar asks what would happen if Odium breaks his word and decides to opt out of the contest completely, doesn't send a champion. Odium says that he is incapable of that. He can't do that. And Dalinar's like, eh, just entertain me, man. What would happen? Yeah. <laughs> and Odium says, quote, then the contract is void and I am in your power. Same, but reversed. If you break the contract, you would be in my power and the restrictions on are placed on me, chaining me to the Risharan system and preventing me from using my powers on most individuals would be void. But that is not going to happen, and I am not going to break my word, because if I did, it would create a hole in my soul which would let cultivation kill me. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. Fascinating. That is the Achilles heel that I previously mentioned. Shards can't break vows. Shards can't break contracts. I don't know if it's or all at shards. Least, yeah, at least not this particular contract for whatever reason. But I feel like that is the key and also what we have seen from odium in general who is saying like i'm not trying to trick you i'm not trying to you know hold only to the letter of the law like this is a spirit of the law type of thing <laughs> because i think it's very outside of any conversation he is having with any person on rashar on the shard level Odium really cannot like tell a lie or go against a vow that he has made. And he's being extra cautious about that. He's like, no, I would never trick you in a contract. That would be very bad for well, me. And we see something similar to this with uh, Preservation and Ruin. Yes. Where they make a contract and Preservation knows that by sort of going around it, it will eventually be destroyed. And it was. Yeah. It set up preservation's eventual death yeah and ruin knew that by making that contract that preservation would do everything in his power and his ability to help the humans as much as possible therefore violating the contract which would then allow him to attack preservation <laughs> and that's exactly what happened so on that's a great instance of another example that like you can't void contracts if you're a shard yeah you can't even like fudge them a little bit exactly that's why odium's like nah i'm gonna do it and before the contract negotiations begin wit actually remarks upon this too he says quote he odium will have to abide by those terms as they are part of the promise Rasa made by taking up the shard of odium to fail that promise would give others an opening against him, and said failures have killed gods before. Odium knows it. End quote. There we go. Yep. It's really set up that either what you were talking about with preservation and ruin is known by Odium, yeah. but I think this is actually in relationship to the death of ambition and basically the... It seems like this is the loophole that Odium previously exploited and maybe used oh. that to set up the death of ambition. Okay. Or it's what you were talking about with the death of ruin and preservation. But like, there aren't that many examples of shard deaths. And well, I mean, yeah, there's kind of a lot. I mean, ruin, preservation, ambition, honor. devotion, dominion, <laughs> honor. Yeah, but that, I mean, there's 16 of them. So like we're not even halfway up. To, there's not zero, but we don't know a lot about the specifics of what happened to Ambition. Right. And so, Other than the fact that Odium killed them. And this so. is what I think that Hoyt is talking about is that 
Odium did this to someone before, and so whatever is agreed to in this contract, he will absolutely be bound by it, and also mm-hmm. that is why we think it holds even with Teravangian now, is because yeah. Odium, the power, yeah. is bound by contracts. Agree. So, deal is proposed, either Odium withdraws or Rashar is completely Odium's. And Odium is not down for that deal. He's like, that's a trash deal. I disagree. And so the counter proposals begin. Dalinar says that not only must Odium withdraw for a millennium, but he also has to take with him all of the fused, any regal spren that make forms of power, and all of the void spren. And Odium's like, would can't love to, but can't because, you know, the Everstorm is already out there. I don't have control over the Everstorm. And the Everstorm lets singers get forms power and allows Fuse to be reborn. So no can do, dude. Yeah. And so your your first proposal cannot be met. We're sorry. We're going to have to scrap that. So then Odium comes back and says, okay, how about this? If Dalinar wins... Odium will withdraw to Braze for a thousand years and he will have no contact with the Fused or Voidspren. If Odium wins, then he will still give up his plans for Rashar as a training ground. He will leave Rashar alone for a thousand years. He will allow humans and singers to make peace, but... He will also be released from his prison of the Rasharan system and he will be able to leave the system. So this is the key part. It's kind of confusing because he's like, if you win, you get what you want. If I win, you get what you want. Yeah. And the and part is the important part. He Always kind of like focus on tries to obfuscate it yes. by like. You're still going to get everything. This is actually like 101 negotiation skill set is that you present. You're like, win-win, either way. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone is happy. read the fine print. (laughs) Yes. And so that's always the clear aspect. If they are giving you everything that you want and then adding something else, the thing that they added is what they truly want and desire out of the negotiation. In this instance odium is making it very obvious the only thing he is concerned about is leaving the risharian system i don't think that it's the only thing i really do think that he wants to wage this cosmere wide war with his risharian army but i do think that leaving the system is his most dear desire yeah it's definitely his clear desire that he wants to leave the Rosharian system. And he also is trying to take advantage of this particular moment. He specifically says, I'm asking you this because you are honor's representative and therefore capable of releasing me from the deal I made with honor. So that's another indication of what we were saying, that Dalinar is not just a regular bondsmith. He has honor power. Dalinar also recognizes and sees the weakness Mm -hmm. in odium that we have previously mentioned see this quote i would prefer odium said to make an agreement why so eager dalinar thought it's the power isn't it 
It's ripping you apart for delaying. It wants out. End quote. We talked a bunch about speculating on what that means and why it may have put a little bit of emphasis in getting Taravangian in the right mm-hmm. position to get rid of Eresa because of this weakness that everyone is remarking upon and that Dalinar is recognizing when he sees Odium face to face. So Dalinar refuses the counter proposal. Yes, but... As he says, Odium's like, I really would like to make some kind of deal. And so they decide that they're going to focus more specifically on the more personal conflict in between Dalinar and Odium. So kind Dalin- of pare it down. Yes, exactly. To go from the wide to focus on something a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. Which is great because Dalinar has no ability to understand the wide. Like he may have a better... Like, he's bringing the fight and the negotiation more to where he has a greater understanding. Right, because it's not like Dalinar has any knowledge of the Cosmere. Zero. I mean, other than just, like, there's something out there. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And so Dalinar's latest proposal... Counter-counter-proposal. If Dalinar wins, Odium is exiled to Braze with no contact or influence on Rashar. If Odium wins... Dalinar will go into exile and humans will have to fight Odium without him. Yeah, so Dalinar kind of proposes like equal on both sides. If I win, you go away. If you win, I go away. And Odium's like, uh, I'm a god and you're a human, so that's not equal. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that's fair. Like that's a ridiculous offer. No, it totally is. Dalinar went in with a lot of unearned confidence and Odium was just like smack. (laughs) But that's also another negotiating aspect of an extreme anchor. You want to bring that boy down as far as possible. So if it's like a deal for a million (laughs) dollars, you offer like a hundred thousand and they're like, no, that's not going to happen. But it, you know, resets the conversation. Yeah, exactly. So Dalinar is bringing Odium down to this more manageable level. And Odium's new proposal is that Odium will withdraw also the fused and all of the knights radiant will withdraw and quote begin preparing for the true war the one that will begin when the gods of other worlds discover the strength of surge binding end quote also all of dalinar's heirs will be bound to this agreement i think again when you listen to odium and just like give him all the credit and or just like truly listen to what he wants. He wants this greater war and he wants to be able to prepare for this greater war. When he is bound in the Rosharian system, he cannot prepare as much as he wants for the greater war. So like that boy is looking to escape. And that is why Dalinar recognizes that and makes it a key aspect of basically a reverse from the very first thing that Odium proposed is like, you guys can win all the time. You do whatever you want. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go away. Dalinar's final proposal and the one that will eventually be accepted is if I win, you stay in this system. If I lose, you stay in the system. Dalinar recognizes what Odium wants and then counters with not giving that to him no matter what. Yes. There are, unfortunately, a few more steps. <laughs> We're not done with the deal yet. <laughs> 
Dalinar basically says that he can't agree to that previous proposal because he can't make any deals for people that have not been born yet, referencing his future heirs. Odium admits that maybe this whole, like, war forever idea has been too much for his people, the Fused, because as we have seen, they're trying to kill themselves permanently. (laughs) And so Odium's like, look, okay, here we go. Here's the deal. On the 10th day of next month, at the 10th hour, we will have our contest. Both Dalinar and Odium say that they know who their champions are going to be. So like they're prepared. Odium will withdraw from the kingdoms that he currently has, and he will enforce an end to the war. Dalinar will get Alethkar back, and Dalinar asks for Herdaz also. So this would be if Dalinar wins. Odium leaves, he gets Alethkar and Herdaz. The rest of the kingdoms can do whatever they want. Odium will still be contained on Braze, and Odium says that he will, quote, be able to focus his attentions on sending agents to the rest of the Cosmere, end quote, since he will not be preoccupied with the war on Rashar. Freeing up some resources. Yeah. (laughs) And then if Odium wins, the war will end, but everything that he's already conquered will still be Odium's, and he will also get Dalinar's soul as an immortal fused bound to personally serve Odium as a cosmic ambassador. Odium says this, quote, You will be the one I send to the stars to serve my interest in the Cosmere. End quote. I mean, there's only one thing that the Blackthorn would be doing as a cosmic ambassador, let's be honest. Yes, he's not the French-style ambassador that's going to, like, wine and dine you. He is the uh, Mongolian Genghis Khan-style yeah, ambassador that's, gonna like, going to chop off some heads. He would be a heads. Genghis Khan ambassador, if you can consider Genghis Khan an ambassador. Oh, he had many ambassadors. They just, <laughs> you can't ever be mean to them. There are many side stories I could go on about Genghis Khan right now. We will pause that. But a reminder that that was one of the inspirations for the original creation of Dalinar was a Genghis Khan-like character. And this deal, this proposal is actually very close to the one that is going to be finally accepted. Dalinar explains precisely when he says this, quote, Final terms are these. A contest of champions to the death on the 10th day of the month, Pala, 10th hour. We each send a willing champion allowed to meet at the top of Urethiru, otherwise unharmed by either side's forces. If I win that contest, you will remain bound to the system, but you will return Alethkar and Herdaz to me with all of their occupants intact. You will vow to cease hostilities and maintain the peace not working against my allies or our kingdoms in any way. Agreed, Odium said. But if I win, I keep everything I've won, including your homeland. I still remain bound to this system and will still cease hostilities as you said above. But I will have your soul to serve me, immortal. Will you do this? Because I agree to these terms. End quote. And Dalinar does. Yes. A couple important words I want to point out that Dalinar adds in when he declares these final terms. One is a willing champion. Can't be no slave. Yes. And 
I'll talk more about this as we get into our speculations for where we go from here. Who can consent? But yes, just remember it has to be a willing champion. And then two is that all of the people in the kingdoms must remain intact. I think that's important because that is not what Odium originally said. He said, I will give the kingdoms back to you. And Dalinar makes sure that he's going to get all of the people in those kingdoms back fully intact as well. Yeah, we don't really care about the land with the lines drawn on a map, bro. We want the people. Odium's like, oh, fine, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. People too. And that is it. That is the final deal. And we believe that this binds Teravodium as well. Yeah. Well, I think Teravodium says that. He's like still stuck to all this stuff that Raisa Odium agreed to. But I have some more ideas on what crafty about what can be used as little loopholes out. However, in the future, if you are looking for what exactly is the deal, there it is, spelled out as clearly as possible. Yes. With all very helpful. (laughs) Now, of course, let's get into some of the speculation about what this deal means. Clearly, there's a bunch of speculation on who the champions are. Everyone thinks that Dalinar is obviously going to be his own champion. This is what I don't understand. Like, there's no debate that Dalinar is going to be his own champion unless he somehow becomes incapacitated in the next book. A Kaniki, if you will. (laughs) He says multiple times that he is going to be the champion. And Navani even is like, so it's going to be Kaladin, right? And Dalinar is like, no, it would never be Kaladin. I am our best warrior. It will be me. Like, it's very clear. So I don't know why people on the internet are still like, it's going to be Kaladin. Because they are trying to imagine a role for Kaladin. Kaladin. I think that the biggest names that are thrown out are, yes, Kaladin number one, Zeth, Adolin, all under Dalinar, obviously. But those three for different various reasons. Yeah, they're all cool and they're all cool options. But it's going to be Dalinar. And that, in turn, brings (laughs) up the problem that maybe, well, right now, the most speculative idea is not about who is Dalinar's champion, but who is the new Teravodium champion? Yes. Big question there. Obviously, the original idea was for it to be Dalinar, and that did not work out. So you could guess that, oh, it's going to be, you know, some fused or yeah, maybe, like maybe one of the... L or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So that could... That's great speculation. But then, but then we introduce a death rattle from way back, Way of King style. I love bringing in these death rattles. Fascinating. Just one of those, you know, early epigraphs from Way of Kings that you didn't understand at all and nobody had like put all the pieces together yet. Yeah, man. The people who've been going back to those death rattles and like doing the the scrying sort of keep up the great work. You're doing the good work. Because in one of those death rattles, there is this quote. Quote, I hold the suckling child in my hands, a knife at his throat. And know that all who live wish me to let the blade slip, spill its blood upon the ground, over my hands, and with it gain us further breath to draw. End quote. 
dark as many of the death rattles are, but very key for a couple of reasons. A death rattle comes at the end of someone's life, right? Right before they die. Yeah. This person... Basically as they are dying. Yes. Yeah. This person is holding a knife to a child's neck, right? Uh, well, a baby, a suckling child, so like a, an infant. Here is the speculation that Dalinar goes to fight a champion and is instead presented with a decision, a trolley problem, basically, for the Cosmere. A, do you kill this innocent baby like you did a bunch of times before, True. Dalinar, but you've moved past that, <laughs> or... Do you lose the contest of champions by default, by refusing to fight? A lot of people like this on the interwebs because mm -hmm. of the nice little cleverness that would be yeah. in place. There's some speculation that it would be Elokar's child who mm, is put in front. He's too old. Yeah, not yeah. really a suckling child at this point, but a the basic idea is that a innocent is put forward as Teravodium's champion. I do love the idea of this because it makes the contest, I think, so much more interesting and compelling than just a, you know, average sword fight or yeah. whatever. Like, I've seen a million of those. And I love this particularly in light of Teravodium because Teravangian knows Dalinar. They've had so many talks about their individual philosophies. And Teravangian knows that Dalinar specifically believes that the means always have to match mm -hmm. the end that you are trying to achieve. Yes. Like there's no justification. If you are trying to achieve something honorable, the way that you get there must also yeah. be honorable. He is a true Kantian in the vein of Chidi Anagonia, but he is going to be in a situation, hypothetically, obviously, hypothetically. be in a situation where he has to make a decision, not use brute strength or his yeah. skills in battle to win, but to make a decision between what is honor, basically, like defining all, of, all, all, all the of the principles yes. and everything that he has worked for, for all of the books that we have seen the him. man went to go die while holding a copy of the way of kings oh. as his only weapon <laughs> and that's what he's going to then be challenged by like that is such yeah. a great concept and idea exactly so i love that i do question the ability of a suckling child to be a willing champion definitely no consent if yeah it's a baby. like i don't think that an infant can consent so i don't know if that would actually fit within the parameters of the deal as they have been laid out so my hope slash theory slash idea is that there will be some kind of unexpected champion maybe in this vein but that it would still be a person cognizant enough to be willing. Well, that is why Elikar's son is selected, because you could imagine a way. He's like six to eight, somewhere in that range. Yeah. He's like not a toddler anymore, but like is also He's not a small an adult. Child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, 
it's very arguable in society about like when is someone able to make decisions for themselves. Yeah. But like most people do start to give a lot more uh, freedom of will to children around that age, the six to eight. I know in Mormon communities, which Brandon is specifically, eight is seen as a very important moment where like your decisions start to have consequences that Mm -hmm. are like enforced and be like no this is bad now we gave you You, slack you know enough to be held accountable for your actions yes and so that's why people speculate on the slightly older to get them out of this like weird consent issue of like an actual suckling child yeah but clearly i think that this is what people are scrambling to make sense of all these different elements and aspects. And also, like you said, like we've seen sword fights before. There's been duels before. Yeah. And how cool would it be if the big final contest of champion is done in a different way, a more surprising way? Yeah. And I think we said this on our Patreon only podcast but we know that brandon is a big fan of turning tropes on their head and so i think that this would sort of fit in with his style as well do you want to hear my sort of pet theory about how this ends yes the counter proposal (laughs) for possible (laughs) theories i think that there is a good chance that dalinar fails however I think that there is some way in which Dalinar is able to take hold of the power of Odium, killing Teravangian in some way, and that because Dalinar is also connected to the Shard of Honor, he becomes a hybrid shard vessel, which if we are to go off of our combination of lights would be war shard yes and this is kind of the unite them yes motif yes as like dalinar will always keep trying to unite whatever it is around him (laughs) so it's like cool odium's over there i am honor let's unite those two and there is a lot of textual evidence that led me in this direction particularly in rhythm of war but in previous books as well There are myriad, I mean, there's so, so many quotes indicating that honor and odium need each other. Just as an example, here's one from Lirin in Rhythm of War, quote, The heart might provide the purpose, but the head provides the method, the path. Passion is nothing without a plan. Wanting something doesn't make it happen, end quote. I love that idea of passion, Odium is nothing without a plan. Plan, honor. Yes, because honor is described over and over and over again as being rules, Mm -hmm. laws, the way that things work, the fact that things fall because of gravity, like those types of very strict, unbreakable rules, the way things are, is how honor is described a lot. And there are so many quotes that are like this where it's basically saying that those two things need to go together and it goes along with the very beginning and that concept of unite them and we have previously talked about 
just at every level, uniting, 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 whether that comes down to be the overall goal of the Cosmere to unite all of the shards back together. It kind of seems like Hoyd is doing some uniting work with the power set. He has his own motivations. But there's like all of these different aspects of bringing the shards together and this could be the first setup for that also i just think that dalinar as war shard would be perfect because he even says at the end like i am the warrior i am our best warrior and when war light is made it not only clashes and is chaotic but it also settles and is calm so Warlight is like both the periods of fighting and the periods of peace, right? Because sometimes you can fight the good fight. Like sometimes you need to fight to, you know, stand up for what is right or whatever. And it's very- And Dalinar, I think, would understand both sides of that. It's very similar to how his battle scenes are depicted as well. They are chaotic. They are violent. They are messy, but at the same time, there is a rhythm and a kind of soothing nature, yeah, a, a, a flow cadence. state that they fall into, or Dalinar and kind of Adolin talk about falling into amid the battle. I absolutely love the concept of a creation of a warlight or a war shard and Dalinar being the wielder. We could clearly speculate about all of this stuff a lot more, but I think it's a good idea to wrap it up for now and to have this really stand as what do we know about the Bondsmiths and what do we know about that deal? Agreed. Before we go, always remember that you can reach out and let us know your theories, your thoughts on the Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Patreon, YouTube. I need to hear everyone's theories about the deal and what's going to happen. Before we go, we do have a Stormlight Archive explained badly. This one comes from Diark Cannon. Quote, Immigrants displace native people, then create a religion about people that are in hiding. Also, slavery is a thing, and some people see fairies. End quote. <laughs> it's always going to be an interesting story if someone's seeing fairies. <laughs> Thank you all so much for sticking with us. We have many more episodes to come about breaking down Rhythm of War and all the different aspects. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Destination.